Welcome to the second season of Science Actually, a podcast by Imperial College London students and staff. We are delighted to have you back for a new exciting topic, the science of the future. Tag along as we ask Imperial's experts to give us a glimpse of what's ahead of us. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Science Actually podcast. My name is Madeline, and today we're going to be talking about aging and age-related diseases, and whether or not we can cure them in the future. Our guest with us today is Dr. Sarah Marzi, a research fellow leading a group at the UK Dementia Research Institute here at Imperial. With a background in math and psychology and a PhD in disease epigenetics, Dr. Marzi looks at the epigenetics of neurodegenerative disease, studying how the behaviors and environment cause changes affecting the way our genes work. In this episode, we're going to talk about research into the influence our environment has on neurodegeneration and also how this is going to be changed in our future. Hi, Dr. Marzi, and welcome. Thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast today. Thanks so much for hosting me today. It's a real pleasure to be here. Just to start off with, could you explain to us what exactly neurodegenerative diseases are and what the current belief is about their development? So um, neurodegenerative diseases encompasses diseases where neurons are lost, they die, or they lose function in some sense. And that then has impact on various aspects of functioning, um, often cognitive impacts, like in Alzheimer's disease, where the disease clinically begins with symptoms like forgetfulness uh, and then progresses to emotional control issues, uh, personality differences, loss of orientation and executive function. Uh, And eventually, as the disease spreads across the whole brain, more and more areas are impacted. Most neurodegenerative diseases are progressive, so they start with small symptoms and then spread out um, to encompass more and more neurons and greater loss of functionality over time. Now, uh, the development of these diseases, I wish we knew more about it. In some diseases, we know some of the genetic factors that actually cause them. Um, Some of these diseases are so-called proteinopathies, so where certain proteins that are present in our brains and central nervous systems start to misfold. Uh, And we know that these misfolded proteins are bad for the neurons, but we're not always entirely sure whether that's the first thing that happens and that's the original onset of the disease and also why that happens in the first place. And how did you choose to focus on the study of neurodegenerative diseases through this epigenetic lens? So what can we learn from this angle? So when I think about uh, epigenetics, I really mean all the mechanisms, the biochemical mechanisms that control gene expression. So whether a gene is expressed, how much of it is expressed, in what context it is expressed. Um, And this is different from cell to cell. So a neuron will have a completely different gene expression pattern, expressing all the genes that are important to neuronal function compared to, say, a skin cell that has looks very different and also has very different functions. Um, My approach to epigenetics and neurodegenerative diseases is that I think it can give us really insightful information into how genetic variants and environmental factors influence these diseases uh, directly in the brain in the disease relevant cell types. So the complex diseases that I study, which are Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's primarily, are caused by a combination of genetic and environmental factors. 
But the genetics is not very simple. It's often not just one gene that has a mutation and produces a dysfunctional protein, but rather it's lots of variants that might increase your risk for the disease a tiny amount. And together, these thousands, hundreds of thousands of variants uh, can really increase your risk a lot, but we don't understand what the mechanisms of these variants are. And often, in fact, they don't fall into protein coding regions, but they fall into regions of the genome that are so-called regulatory elements, so that are responsible for regulating the expression of another gene. And so by looking at these epigenetic patterns, we can understand what sort of regulatory element does a given variant fall in, which gene does it regulate, in what cell type is it even active and has an effect. Um, and similarly, from the environmental angle, we know for some of these diseases, some of the environmental factors that are associated with altering your disease risk, and they might be things like smoking, sometimes they're the presence of other diseases throughout life. So diabetes, for example, is um, associated with an increased risk of Alzheimer's disease. Um, and sometimes more external environmental factors like pollution or pesticides, but we don't really understand what they exactly do and how they increase our risk of these diseases. Could you explain a bit more about how exactly you study these epigenetic mechanisms and what changes you notice at the genetic level that then go on to affect gene expression and regulation? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So what we do basically, these epigenetic mechanisms, um, they come in different classes, but you can think about them as sort of deposited along the genome. So you can go and study a whole genome and you can query where are certain um, modifications uh, present. So sometimes these can be modifications that bind directly to the DNA, or in other times they will be modified proteins that interact with the DNA and that can increase or decrease gene expression. And so what we look for is, um, say, for example, if we compare people with Alzheimer's disease and without Alzheimer's disease, and we might be looking in their brains or in specific cell types, we look for genes and regions where the Alzheimer's patients might have a high increase in these modifications, so say an upregulation of certain genes that might be toxic or bad for the cells, or equally, maybe they shut down some other genes that are actually important and they don't function as well anymore. And so we look for these differences by basically reading along the genome and comparing, um, for example, cases and controls, or by comparing what happens after an exposure to an environmental factor. Um, do we see differences and what genes are being up and down regulated? Actually, thinking of the nature versus nurture debate, or in other words, how much our genes or what we're born with versus environmental and behavioral factors impact our physiology, when talking about these complex diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, do our genetics or environment seem to be more influential than the other, or does it seem to be more of an interplay and a balance between the factors? Um, in both diseases, both types of factors do play a role. Um, but they are slightly different. So between the two, I would say Alzheimer's is the more genetic disease. So you can quantify how heritable and how much genetic a disease is by looking at twins. And you can compare twins that are identical to twins that um, are basically fraternal, so that are as similar as um, normal siblings would be. And so if the disease, for example, always co-occurs in the identical twin, so if one of them has it, the other one will also get it, 
then it is a 100% genetic disease. But you can basically quantify how big the difference of co-occurrence in the identical and the non-identical twins is. Uh, and then you can put a number on it. And so Alzheimer's disease is estimated to be about 60 to 80% heritable. Whereas in Parkinson's, it's thought to be a lot lower and it's sort of thought to be in the 20 to 30% range, which, yeah, leaves a lot of room for environmental factors to influence and make up those other 70 to 80%. Um, I, I do think studying environmental factors, though, is important in both cases because those are potentially the factors that we can more easily modify and change, especially if they are things like lifestyle factors or external things like pollution that might be altered via uh, legislation and regulation. Continuing from that idea of these neurodegenerative diseases having a modifiable component to them, which environmental or behavioral factors seem to influence our risk? I know lots of people seem to believe that pesticides and pollutions could cause this. And would you agree with that or no? So there is a broad spread and it depends a little bit on the disease as well. Um, the pesticide association is pretty clear, has been established as causal for Parkinson's so that there is extremely strong and reproducible evidence for uh, the fact that low grade pesticide exposure over a long term um, has uh, huge effects on Parkinson's risks. Um, and in fact, that has resulted in, in differences in legislation. So certain pesticides, like, for example, rotenone, which used to be used commonly in agriculture, has been banned in the EU for a while, is now also banned in the US. That doesn't mean it's not a pro problem globally anymore, because it is still used in other regions of the world where you do have a lot of agriculture. And so it does have widespread con consequences. Um, for other pesticides, um, industrial solvents have been implicated in the disease as well. Uh, pollution, like you said, although I think there it's been a bit more challenging to actually establish the causality. So you see that people who live in more um, urban and city areas, that they have higher risk of Parkinson's, but is that due to the higher pollution or is that due to other city life factors, psychological factors, stress factors, lifestyle factors? It's very difficult to tease apart because we don't actually experimentally expose anyone for long term to these things. So we have to sort of infer um, what's the exposure and is it actually causal on the disease risk um, and that that has been one of the challenges and then when you once you've established causality the next challenge is understanding the mechanism the biology of how the exposure is linked to the disease do you know the current theory around how this environmental factor such as pesticide exposure can actually cause a change and increase our risk at the genetic level um, so, no, we don't know fully, and in fact, a lot of the work that my group does at the moment uh, is trying to target exactly that question, what are these pesticides doing to the cells that are relevant to the disease and that are present in the brain. Um, one class of pesticides, including this rotenone that I mentioned, we know that it causes dysfunctions of complex one in the mitochondria, which is responsible for um, energy generation in the cells, basically. Um, and so we know that rotenone, in fact, works as a pesticide and works on the insects that it's supposed to target by um, uh, inhibiting complex one. And so then the cells don't get energy, the insects die at the doses that we're exposed to or that you would be exposed to if you're close to a farm using this or if you're, in fact, working on the farm or something, um, it wouldn't necessarily kill all your cells at once. So the question is, 
is it still that complex one inhibition, but just at very low grade that is long term causing um, your dopaminergic neurons to degenerate, which is what happens in Parkinson's disease? Um, or is there are there other mechanisms involved? And then there are other pesticides that work via other mechanisms that also increase your risk of Parkinson's. And so clearly it's complicated and we need to dig drill in into do they do all do something that's similar to our cells or are there independent different mechanisms that lead to the same outcome? Interestingly, lots of work has focused on the potential negative effects that our environment may have in terms of epigenetic regulation. But are there any known beneficial epigenetic factors that could be protective against neurodegeneration? Um, yeah, so there, there are a number of protective factors. I mean, one of the things uh, that's been shown to be protective even after onset of neurodegenerative disease is exercise. So particularly cardio exercise seems to stimulate new generation of neurons in your brain even. Um, and so that, that seems to be protective and that seems to slow down even as people already have, say, Alzheimer's disease, for example. Um, another really intriguing association that's positive is um, between smoking and Parkinson's disease. So uh, people who smoke are less likely to get Parkinson's disease. Uh, but this is not ne doesn't necessarily mean that the smoking itself uh, prevents you from getting Parkinson's disease. So one of the theories around this is that if you by birth have a higher density of dopaminergic neurons, um, then you might be more likely to develop addictive behaviors because the dopamine circuitry is involved in reward and therefore might uh, induce you to have more addictive uh, behaviors. And that might also protect you from Parkinson's because Parkinson's uh, is basically the degeneration of dopaminergic neurons. So if you have more of them to start with, uh, maybe you're more protected. Uh, and vice versa, so that that's one theory, um, but we don't really know yet. That's quite unexpected. That's right. When thinking about the future of your work, we actually pulled a small group of Imperial students and found that they believe that as our population grows older, this field of neurodegenerative research is being put more into the spotlight. And is this something that you also have noticed or believe will happen in terms of funding or research focus as we move forwards? Yes, that's certainly something that we're seeing slowly. And of course, uh, as a researcher in the field, that's something that uh, is important to me and that I'm hoping for as well. So compared to other diseases, say cancer, uh, neurodegeneration has been underfunded for a really long time. As populations age and as we are better able to treat a lot of other diseases that you might get throughout your lifespan, people end up getting more neurodegenerative diseases. So I think pretty much all the late age neurodegenerative diseases are on the rise everywhere. And the main reason for that is that people are getting older. Um, I think Parkinson's in fact is on the rise above and beyond what is just being caused by age. So people have been thinking about, is it something in our modern lifestyles like exposure to pollution that is adding on top of just that aging effect. And so, yeah, I, I do think we are seeing an increased investment uh, in these diseases, both from, um, from the governmental funding agencies, uh, but also charities working in the space, uh, raising money for disease research. Uh, and, and that's gonna be important uh, for us uh, going forward in understanding what's driving these diseases and how might we one day be able to 
uh, treat them. When thinking about the possibility of developing treatments, do you think that the future of neurodegenerative disease research is more likely to be based on developing cures or on finding um, preventative measures? So I think the answer is somewhere in between. Um, I, I see it as very challenging to reverse neuronal damage. And in fact, by the time we diagnose many of these diseases clinically, a lot of neuronal damage has already happened. So if you take Alzheimer's, the uh, symptoms in your brain and the neurodegeneration probably precedes any clinical symptoms by at least 10 years, if not more. So our brain is actually remarkably good at compensating for all that neuronal loss. And only when it gets extremely severe do we start noticing uh, the first symptoms like forgetfulness and so on. So what I think is going to be really crucial is that uh, rather than reversing that and regrowing all those neurons, that's going to be very unlikely. We need to diagnose these diseases much earlier, so we need to find some sort of biomarker. Uh, and then I think it's going to be important to find treatments that can halt these processes and that can stop them before they even spread out and cause massive neuronal damage across the brain. What do you see your lab focusing on in the future and where do you think will be the next sort of big breakthrough in the field of neurodegenerative research itself? Um, so one of the big things we're focusing on are these environmental factors in Parkinson's um, and how they might influence the epigenome. And really, there's been hardly any work into this. So we're starting almost at square one. Um, some people have looked at an, the epigenome of the brain in disease. And that's already informative and interesting, but that's often very late stage disease and the changes that you observe. It's very unclear whether they are causal to the disease or they are a consequence of the disease or they are a consequence of the brain dying and inflammation in the brain. So it's very messy and we are trying to run some more targeted experiments, um, both with animals and then also with um, in vitro systems. So we're using cell cultures and going forward organoids as well that we can expose at very controlled doses to these environmental factors and then see what happens um, to the cells in those dishes. One of the still not entirely answered questions is also which cells are even involved in these diseases. In, in Alzheimer's, um, there's clearly been a, a big role highlighted for these microglia, the immune cells of the brain. For Parkinson's, it's a lot less consistent. Uh, we know the dopaminergic neurons are involved, and that's both because they degenerate, but also the genetics is pointing to them. But then other cell types have uh, inconsistently been implicated by different studies, and they include the oligodendrocytes, which sort of insulate the axons of neurons in, in the brain. Um, they include the microglia again, so the immune cells, and they might be dysfunctioning or might be hyperactivating in the disease again. And they also, in Parkinson's, interestingly, include your um, gut nervous system. So uh, outside of your brain, the biggest concentration of neurons in your body is actually in your gut and your intestine. Uh, and that's an autonomous nervous system. So it's not like you consciously control it, uh, but it's highly innervated. And it's also connected up through the vagus nerve to your brain directly. And so for Parkinson's, there are some theories around the disease actually starting in the gut um, and protein aggregation and misfolding starting down there and then moving up through the vagus nerve into your brain. 
Um, and in fact, you will see in a lot of uh, Parkinson's patients that prior to developing the disease, many years prior, maybe 20, 30 years prior to that, they will have um, gastrointestinal problems. Although that's, of course, a very unspecific symptoms. Lots of people will have gastrointestinal problems for lots of other reasons and might never develop Parkinson's. But that's just been sort of an observational result. So really disentangling where does this disease happen, which cells in which types of our body and nervous system are involved, uh, and what do they do that might promote the disease risk by targeting it for both from the environmental exposure angle and then looking in the brains of people with Parkinson's and comparing what's going on and do we see any consistent consistent dysregulation that's in line with both the exposure and the disease profile. And as a final question, will future generations approach this issue from a different perspective as a thing of the past or do you believe that these diseases are something that are almost too complex to cure? I mean, I am optimistic that we will be able to cure it or to at least mm, prevent it. It's almost like vaccinate for it or halt it in the early stages. Um, that's why I'm working in this space. And to me, it makes sense, especially in the proteinopathies, if you've got this, these misfolded proteins, if they are causal to it, there must be some way to stop them from aggregating in that way. These are all biological mechanisms. Or equally, if it's some gene regulatory defect where your cells just uh, upregulate certain pathways that are bad for them, there are lots of regulators in the cells that we could target to try and reverse that or uh, to lower those reactions. So I, I am optimistic. It sort of relies a bit on the fact that what happens is consistent and that it's limited to a few um, a limited number of pathways that can be targeted by regulators that have broad effects on these pathways. Um, if it's say 2000 different pathways that are required to actually cause the disease and you need to target each one of them independently, then it's going to be a bit more of a challenge. Um, but uh, most of us are working under the assumption that actually what's going on sort of one targeted direction that you might be able to alter or reverse with a limited number of compounds if you can identify what is actually driving it uh, and then identify compounds that might reverse these um, yeah these patterns. That's really interesting. I think it's important to keep in mind that these complex diseases might have different kind of avenues for treatment. Yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Marzi, for joining us today on the Science Actually podcast. It's been incredibly interesting to learn about your work in epigenetics, the impact environmental and behavioral factors can possibly have on neurodegeneration, both positive and negative, and how this pressing issue is shaping research in the future. Thanks so much for having me, Madeline. It's been a real pleasure chatting about epigenetics in my research with you. Thank you all for listening. If you'd like to know more about Science Actually or listen to more episodes, check out our website and find us on Instagram and Twitter for more information.